Did you really think I was going away that easily? Uh, I totally and utterly misjudged the fervor or fever over this podcast. And uh, I was basically completely ready to walk away and not do this ever again. Because I have so many other things on my plate. And then so many people reached out and were like, oh man, what a drag. I would listen to that. So it wasn't seven people listening to my podcast. I'm My best guess now is that there were at least 12. And with that kind of followership, followership, readership, listenership, how dare I think of going away from this? So we're back with episode 56 of For What It's Worth podcast. And for those of you who are new here, number one, I feel bad and I pity you. But if you are here, you could be stuck in prison with no other options or even stuck in an elevator with no other options. But I am uh, I'm back. My audio recorder does not sound like it's working right. So this could be for naught, but I'm going to keep going because I am between meetings and I have only got a short amount of time and that's it. It's a one-take wonder or it doesn't happen. So who is this podcast for? If you're new and you're wondering how the hell did I get here and why did I deserve this? This is for anyone who is still drinking Carnation Instant Breakfast Drink. In an age of every kind of conceivable, conceivable organic, 100% pure, natural, power-packed power protein powders and energy and clean energy, and if you're still rocking Carnation Instant Breakfast Drink, I think you're going to like this podcast. Now, my roommate in college used to get Carnation Instant Breakfast Drink. So this was somewhere around the 1990-1991 time frame, and so, he would get this stuff somewhere. And I not—I kid you not—it came in a cardboard briefcase, where you would—you would—it came in this cardboard box with a handle that was like a clamshell. And when you opened it, each flavor had its own little box, little channel. It was like very sophisticated. The only thing it lacked was the of like the latches opening because it was made out of cardboard, not metal. And then inside was like strawberry and blueberry and vanilla or whatever it was. And of course, at the time, we would mix this with whole milk. Like, just think about that now. Where we are now as a species, where this was 1990, getting up in the morning in college, and you'd be like, yeah, I think I'll have a giant glass of sugar and whole milk and then go sit in a classroom for nine hours. And you're like, gee, my stomach is kind of rumbling and um, this isn't going to end well. And that's what we had. Where he got this stuff, I have no idea, but we had it all the time. And I mean, we would drink a giant glass of whole milk with carnation instant breakfast drink and then like eat enchiladas or something. It was freaking horrible how we survived. I have why we survived. We really didn't, we didn't deserve it. We were not refined human beings. We were pigs and savages. Okay. Who else is this for? If you're one of those people who gets to Yellowstone National Park and somehow manages to avoid all 10,000 signs saying, do not get out of your car when there are buffalo present, if you, if you just say to yourself, you know what? That doesn't apply to me. I'm getting out and I'm taking a selfie with this 2,000-pound enraged beast. If that's you, if you get out and do that, welcome aboard. This podcast is for you. I've seen you. I've not met you before, but I have seen you get flipped upside down in the air and trampled by the buffalo at Yellowstone. And frankly, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every moment of it. In this case, it was a woman. She was kind of hefty. And she got out of her car in this giant traffic jam in the middle of Yellowstone where there was a herd of buffalo and decided that this was the perfect place for the selfie. And the, and Mama Buffalo was like, yeah, sure, come on over. 
Come on over, get a little closer, a little closer. That's perfect. Now, three, two, one, contact. And this woman, it was a, it was a fair, you know, weight-wise, it was a fair competition, but she it did not end well. And, and oddly enough, I'm not kidding, Buffalo drills this woman, flips her up in the air. She kind of landed on her feet. And, and, and the adrenaline by this point was spiking. I mean, it was like a, a bag of pure adrenaline and she's bolted. She kind of landed on her feet and bolted back to the RV. And I was like, that's maybe the, the single toughest thing I've ever seen in my life. If that's you, if that person is listening now, this podcast is for you. And the last group that I will throw in here for who this podcast is for is if you have ever been at Costco which I do not recommend, but if you have ever been to Costco, standing in front of the alcohol pyramid, you know, they have these superstructures that are like uh, superstructure pyramids of alcohol off to one section of Costco, and these are enormous. Like, the, the anthropologists come to study these like they do the actual pyramids, or, or like Saxa woman in, in Peru where they're looking at this stonework and saying, how did anybody move this amount of material and get it together. They anthropologists go to Costco and they look at these alcohol pyramids and they're like, we have no idea how this was done. This could have been in uh, aliens. It could have been UFOs came down. If you have ever stood there with an eight gallon glass bottle of Jack Daniels in your hand and looked with absolute sincerity at your friend, probably wearing white high tops and jean shorts, that friend, if he's next to you and you look at him and it 100% sincerity, you holding this eight-gallon bottle of Jack Daniels, if you look at him and you, if you've ever asked, is this enough? Do you think this is enough? If you've ever asked that and your friend who in the jean shorts and high tops, he's going to say, get two, get two, just get two. Because that, that's what his role in life is. His role is to take you beyond reason, beyond common sense. He's taking you into the red the red of life, not just athletic drinking performance, but he's taking you to the edge of your life. That is his responsibility. You will not be friends with him forever, but the time you are friends with him is critical to your development as a human being. If you're any of those people, this podcast is for you. Okay, we have two heroes of the week, and for those of you who are new here, I do who this podcast is for, then the hero and the goat, or scum of the week, which I preferred. Scum is a reference and a tribute to the late, great Hunter S. Thompson. He used that word masterfully in his, in his writings. The hero of this week is shot givers, anybody who is giving the vaccine shots. Mine was a woman named Cindy, who's a Texan, and she was a nurse from Texas who volunteered to come here and give vaccines. And she, the place that I got my vaccine was at CVS, which is, you know, the drugstore here in New Mexico. There are plenty of places you can go to the, some of the reservations. They're giving out vaccines, and of course the state is. And, you know, New Mexico is leading the nation in vaccine percentage of population vaccinated with both a single and double dose. And Cindy was very cool, and I just, my heart went out to her because CVS is not a place you want to spend all day every day. It's just not. I mean, it's definitely not. I, that's, that's the kind of place that you get in and you get out. You know, it's like a, it's like a special operations move. You know, it's like getting in to get bin Laden or whatever. You want to get in, get your work done and get out of CVS. But she's there all day long giving shots to people like me. So, and she was so friendly and so cool and so nice. And, uh, so I want to tip my hat to anybody who's out there, the nurses on the front lines who are, uh, or the care, you know, not care workers, but the medical workers on the front line doing this. Cause we've never had to do this before like this. People are learning it's not going to be perfect. You're going to get people complaining. And so my hat is off to all of them. 
And the second hero of the week is me, because I realized as a kid, I kept my allowance in a deer scrotum that hung next to my bed. And I thought that was totally normal. So not many people have handled a deer scrotum like I have. And um, if you haven't, you're really missing out. But I used to keep my allowance in it. And I think I got a quarter a week. That was my allowance. And I saved like $10,000. I was an absolute master of saving the uh, allowance. My sister was on credit from like day one, buying five-inch mirrored pumps. You know, living in a, we lived in a swamp town in Indiana. My sister, not a good sign. If your sister's wearing five-inch mirrored pumps and you live in a swamp town, uh-uh. That ain't going to end well either. But I had a deer scrotum. And for that, I'm giving myself the Hero Award. All right, the goat of the week or the scum of the week. I've got three here, I think. The first is anyone on social media who is using Afghanistan as a way of getting likes and subscriptions. Like you idiots cycling or hiking or playing tourist in Afghanistan right now. It's not that you can't go to Afghanistan safely, but you don't. The people who are doing this that I've seen have no comprehension of how. exploitive that is of Afghanistan. You know, we have been at war there for 20 years. They were at war long before, internally prior to that, but then the Soviets before that. No one has ever conquered Afghanistan. They are the most badass people on the face of the earth. But you cannot use that scenario to exploit for your YouTube or Instagram fame. It is so disgusting to see these people doing that. And they're all young, and they have no concept of where they are, what they're doing, nothing. Their whole purpose of being there is to say, look at where I am, hoping that people go, oh, my God, you went to Afghanistan. You're so cool. It's disgusting, and I shouldn't be surprised. It's social media, so the bar's pretty low. I was get- My next scum of the week, go to the week, is actually Matt Gates, but I can't really put it – I can't. he's in his own category, and it's not necessarily scum or goat. Um. He is because he's just such a tool, you know, there's no, there's, he, he qualifies in all of these categories. And yet, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they haven't proven yet. There's a lot of speculation they have some data he's being investigated, but he's just such a clown, you know, I mean, a clown of epic proportion. And by the way, he's passed zero legislation since he's been in his post, which is pretty much sums up everything you need to know about this bozo. And oh, by the way, he's maybe too Florida for Florida. And that is saying something, because Florida over the last 18 months has shown beyond beyond reasonable doubt that we might as well just lop that state off at the top, right? Let's just take that, or let's let's erect enormous wall at taxpayer expense across there. Let's just wall it off and see what happens. Um, but anyway, Gates is just a clown. It is entertaining to watch what's happening with him because it is so idiotic. The sad part is if he is, in fact, indicted or, or brought to charges on what he's being accused of, that is a very, very, very dark, dark thing. And so it is not good. It's just another example of, of, the, of our government is broken. We, it's filled with people that have absolutely no right and no reason to be there. And unless you and I, as civilians, band together and we get intelligent, it's not going to change. It's going to get worse, and it looks to be getting that way right now. Uh, And by the way, getting your phone snatched by the FBI, that's totally normal from what I know. It happens to everyone eventually. Um, And the last person here, the scum of the week, is if anyone out there claims to love rice cakes, you are scum because you are lying. I eat rice cakes all the time, and every single time I do, I question my existence and why. what happened to me. Am I having early onset? What's happening? Why am I eating this thing? There's no value to them at all, and yet I eat them, and then I feel terrible about myself and my decision-making paradigm. And uh, if you like rice cakes, then F you. Um, I don't want you on this podcast. Okay, 
couple of days ago, I'm with my with my wife, and um, you know we've been pretty isolated over the last year, trying to be very safe. We've, we have had people over, but they've been on the patio outside. We keep apart. Everybody's very cool about it here. No no one is like acting like an idiot or or making us feel bad for saying for trying to be isolated or be smart or not immediately start socializing like maniacs because we got vaccinated. I have friends who have gone completely and utterly off the deep end. There is a sense of entitlement in America that is just staggering. People who've gotten their vaccinations and then just decided to, to act like it's 1999 and they're traveling and going to dinner and parties and all kinds of stuff. And people the vax is not a guarantee that you're not going to get COVID. The idea behind the vax is to keep you from dying, number one, and number two, to keep you out of the medical, the hospital system, because it would simply get overrun. We have thousands of people in America who've been vaccinated, who have then gone on to get COVID. We still have many level four countries in the world where there is CDC is recommending zero travel for any reason, even for vaccinated people, because you still stand a good chance of getting COVID. So we need to quit acting like idiots. And, you know, me, when when quarantine hit, I was like, this is perfect for me. I love it. I don't have to travel or talk to people or be face-to-face. I'm, I'm very much an independent person. I like I prefer to be by myself. So we eventually did a little socializing, and I remember telling my wife, and, and the people that we socialized with, I really like. And I told my wife, hey, if I never did that again for the rest of my life, I'd be happy. And she looked at me with this look of panic because she's very, very social. And she's like, no, no, you have to promise me you have to promise me that we're, we're going to socialize. And I was like, oh, God, I hope we get another year. I hope it extends another year. And she was like melting down. And I was like, I like isolation. I don't know. I'm productive. I'm, uh, there's an endless amount of stuff to learn that I didn't get a chance to learn the first time around. So if it extends, hopefully not, because that means a lot of people are hurting. But selfishly, because I am a tool, but it's my podcast. But I, you know, I would be okay with another year of isolation. Um, I, my wife is getting better at cutting my hair. I'm looking at my reflection in my monitor right now, and I look freaking amazing. Just kidding. Okay, let's move on. A lot of points to cover. And how much time do I have? I got about half an hour. And then I got to jump in the van and go find high-speed Wi-Fi because I live in the sticks. Okay, point number one, AG23 update. Tomorrow, sometime tomorrow, Friday, I will receive my first box of AG23s, which is probably going to be somewhere in the 500 range. Uh, one box comes tomorrow, second day priority. The rest of them come next week. Beyond has the rest of them at the headquarters where they will be fulfilling orders through the site. But where do I even begin? Number one is I'm about to make a film about the second issue, an overall film. Then I'm going to make five films, one each for each contributor. We have five contributors in the second issue. The printing is done. Uh, A friend of mine was inspired by this project and decided to do her own in another, well, she's based here, but she was doing it with another, with a designer in another country. And they were going to make their own zine about a very specific country, place, people, and and sort of a history of photographic stuff happening in that area, which is great. That was one of the real things that we wanted were for people to either around the world to see AG23 and say, um, wow, how do I be a part of that? Or say, how do I do my own? That That's really one of the goals with this thing. So it was very cool to do that. She wrote me last week and said, I had no idea how much work and how time consuming and how expensive this was. And I said, yeah, you, you got to want it because everything is potential to go sideways, especially during COVID. For any of you out there who claim that shipping is fine right now, you know, a lot of people have asked me, hey, are we going to ship overseas with this issue? And the short answer right now is no. 
Shipping is in absolute and utter turmoil. And I will give you multiple examples if you don't believe me. I had a magazine shipped to me in November out of Europe, and it got here at the end of March. So five months to get here. That's not good. State-to-state mail is taking up to five weeks. My brother is telling me that every single thing I'm sending to my mom in Texas has been opened before it arrives. Uh, Yes, two days ago, a friend stopped by and said that he shipped something with the most reliable shipping service I've ever seen in my life. Historically, everyone agrees it's the number one shipping methodology. It's expensive, but the best. His last package was gone for 17 days with no no tracking. He paid for tracking and paid for everything. They had no idea where it was 17 days before they found it. And they told him nothing matters except vaccines. That's it. The only shipped product right now that matters is Vax. So that's in turmoil. The zines themselves were supposed to show up in Seattle at Beyond on Monday of last week. We got a delivery notification and a signature notification with one slight problem. There were no zines. They were gone for four days. We found them and now arranged for them to be delivered back to Beyond, but they were gone for four days. 600 pounds, a pallet of zines were gone. So... Any of you out there who are saying, I ordered something on Amazon, shipping is fine, I don't know what you're talking about, you have no clue how bad it is out there right now. And oh, by the way, it's getting worse. And this numbnuts who's in charge of our postal service right now had already said, look, you're going to pay more, take longer, and you're going to have bad service. And so it's not going to get any better. I'm not sure what the remedy is. Someone asked me if I thought about putting AG on the blurb site. The problem is then it's not free anymore. You have to then pay for the zine instead of getting it for free. Instead, And then instead of a flat $5 shipping rate to get anywhere in the country, you're going to pay at some points 30 40 50 bucks to have your zine shipped. And people are going to melt down, and then they're going to complain even more. So at this point, here's what we're doing. I'm going to package up all the contributors. Two are here in Santa Fe, three are in LA. I'm going to package up their... Um, their copies in the sleeves and the slipcases with a t-shirt in their boxes. And I will hand deliver two of them here. And then I will ship the others to LA and just hope to hell that they actually arrive at some point. And I'm not really, we're not really going to start shipping anything else until those happen. Um, One of the contributors has seen the zine and loved it and said, wow, this looks great, which is so incredibly relief. So, so, so much relief for me. If you don't, if you've never been involved in anything like this, and never been involved with sort of publishing other people's work and wanting to do right by them. You know, these are five of these people. Um, some of them I knew fairly well, and then others were relatively new to my life. And you have a responsibility, and you want nothing more than to do right by them and make them happy and say, because this is a weird thing. I'm not asking anything of them other than, can I show your work? So we're publishing it, we're creating the website, and then we're promoting the hell out of them and saying to anyone who's, who's interested in anyone who asks, Yes, there's a physical zine, but there's only 2,000 of those. Those will go quickly. But here's the website. And so the website, we actually took pretty much everything that was in the zine this time, and, and it's also on the website. Whereas the first time, the website was kind of a continuation of what was in the zine. But now I realize, because there's only 2,000 copies, and so many people who are interested in this are never going to get a copy of the physical zine. So the site needs to be just as good And then ultimately, we want you to leave us. We want you to go away from us to the contributors' sites themselves. Because that's what we're telling you with AG. We are saying these are people who are interesting to us, and their work is interesting, and we think you might want to spend some time with them. That's it. That's the entire gist of this entire project. And holy cow. And when I make the film... I have a list of people to thank that is a mile long for getting this done. There is some developments in the background. We've had some really good 
um, discussions with the new CEO of RPI, which is the parent company of Blurb now, and he loves the project. We have some workings on potential paper sponsorships, uh, which would be great because then it would save money and we'd be able to do things like give grants and, and really sort of redirect the, the funding that we're, is required. We've had some good breakthroughs on printing cost. We're still paying thousands of dollars to get this printed, but we're, we got a little break on this one, which is great. Well, not on this one, but we got a break on potentially the third issue. So we paid full price on the second one, but we got a little break on hopefully the third one coming up. So there's a lot of stuff, but it's, it could easily be someone's full-time gig. And I still feel like we, even though we have two issues now, we haven't started yet. This could be something so much better. Um, but anyway, it's out there, uh, and it'll be trickling, trickling out over the next two weeks. I'm going to start next week. I'll make the first film and then I'll start on the contributor films. And like I said, start all the mailings. I will be sending out about a hundred of these to people in my database, people that I sent the, um, the first one to, and oh, by the way, two of these people stopped by our house over the last two weeks. One is a world famous photographer. And one is probably the single nicest, most interesting publishing industry person I've ever met. And both of them said, oh my God, I loved that project. I loved it when you sent it to me. Thank you. You know, what's happening with it now? So it's a very cool thing. Just, just so you know, hopefully you're out there, you're thinking maybe starting something like this on your own. You have to realize the kind of hate that will come your way as well. That's just a byproduct of being out in the world these days, especially around an industry that's so fragile like photography. There are so many knuckleheads out there, and they will do nothing but hate on your project. You have to just be, you just ignore them. And the great thing about my senior co-editor partner, Rick, from Beyond, is we both have the same attitude, which is, I don't care. If you want to hate us or this or whoever, we don't care because we're going to do it anyway. So just power on. Okay, point number two, and I did a film about this a couple, probably about 10 days ago, is we are, Elena Dorfman and I are contemplating, we're scheduling and we have it mapped out and everything, a workshop in Albania in September of this year, September 24th to October 2nd, our plan is to teach a workshop in Albania. And this may or may not go, right? As of today, Albania is a level four CDC country. That's not good. And the problem is not only is, is, the, is COVID bad, but a lot of people will not be able to return to their countries if they go to a level four country because then they have to quarantine when they get back in. Or they're not even allowed to go to level four countries or they can't transit through certain countries and airports on the way back. It is very complicated. People have reached out from all over saying, I'd like to do that, but I can't get back into my country, which means I'd have to go to like UK and quarantine and I can't afford that and I would be out of work and I'd lose my job. So it's, it's a bit of a stretch. But what we did is put a plan in place and we are going to try to do it, but we have a cutoff. You know, people have to put deposits in, and then we have to gauge exactly what's happening. And then we have a cutoff date where we look and say, okay, nope, this isn't going to work. We're going to bump it to next year. So if we bump it, we bump it. And that's just the reality of the world that we're living in right now. There's so much uncertainty with variants and different vaccines. And, you know, the P1 variant from Brazil, which rocked Canada last week, our vaccines here in America don't seem to do well with the P1. With the UK variant, we tend to be okay, but Brazil seems to be particularly bad. Um, there is, you know, to get from here to Albania is a long time on flights and airports and all kinds of stuff. So where our fingers are crossed, but we are being 100% non-emotional and we make decisions based on the science that we have, the best science that we have. So, and no one wants to die over a, um, over a photo workshop. It's just not that important. I have heard all kinds of blustery talk 
from the machos of the world in the photo industry, especially the photojournalism types who are teaching workshops as if nothing is happening. And everyone is trying to downplay the severity of what's happening out there. And it is an incredibly selfish way of doing this because it's not about necessarily the workshop students getting COVID. It's you as a workshop student or instructor giving COVID to someone else. That's the part that I see getting completely lost Phototypes teaching workshops all over the world at, oh, no, we're no problem. Oh, I got vaccinated, so this is fine. It's just, it's bad. And I get people being cooped up and wanting to act like things are okay. But again, it's so selfish to put yourself in that, um, in that boat where you're like, I just don't care. I want to go do this and I'm going to pretend that things are fine. Just imagine like giving COVID to a, a TSA worker or giving COVID to someone in a hotel that you're staying at that doesn't have the means to get to a major hospital that doesn't have good COVID or healthcare. And you're there because you're like, I don't care. I'm going to make pictures and then tell everyone how great I am. We just have to like take a step back. If you can't do it safely, wait, you know, find something local. And that's, I have no other travel plans on my horizon at all. I have no intention or no need to get on a plane. I've got everything I need here in New Mexico to explore for the rest of my life that I can do safely from the van or my bicycle. And that's sort of the, the trade-off that we've made. Uh, okay, I just read a book the other day, which I posted on my site, which I know that many of you have already read now because you're all disciples and following me just dangerously close. Um, I just noticed that I put Albania Workshop twice on my list, so we will have one, one uh, less thing to talk about. I just read a book about the Amazon called One River by Wade Davis. Davis is also the guy who wrote the book about Mallory's quest for Everest, which is one of the, like, Into the Dark or something like that. Uh, it's one of the best outdoor sort of history books I've ever read. I would totally reread that again if I had it in front of me. And his book on the Amazon was, was equally as impressive. Now, if you like botany, if you like geography, if you like Latin America, if you like archaeology, um, anthropology, you will love this book. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that you're reading this book, and it's basically three or four stories in one. It's a story of a guy named Schultes, who's, for, who's a Harvard botanist who spent decades down in the Amazon discovering plants, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And he sort of spawned a guy named Tim Plowman, who was his student. And Plowman went down and sort of hand, took the baton and kept the, 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 the race going. And then Plowman handed the baton, the baton to Wade Davis. And so they all were sort of in the same lineage of education and botany. And, and so Davis writes not only about his, his sort of adventures with Plowman uh, in a Dodge power wagon driving all over the Amazon region uh, collecting plants, but also what Schultes did back then. And you, under, you start to begin to understand, like, what kind of badasses these people were. You know, today you talk about adventure travel and— you know, people have pants that zip off at the knees and, and safari hats and all this stuff. These guys were insane. These guys would go down there and it'd be like, um, yeah, I need to get from here to there. And then he'd be like, well, that's easy, man. That's 400 miles upstream in a canoe. Then we're going to hike overland and hack through a jungle that's never been hiked. And if we survive the malaria and running out of food and starving to death, then we just have to paddle another 200 miles down river through rapids. So we're going to have to portage around those. And, um, you know, seven people died on this, trying to do this last year. And they would just go. And they'd get malaria and spend a month in bed and then run out of food and nearly starve. And, like, you, it, it, this was nothing. And they just kept doing it and doing it year after year, decade after decade, collecting tens of thousands of plants that no one had seen before, no one outside of the indigenous folks. 
and through the indigenous folks and working with them, they were getting these unbelievable histories of what these plants meant and everything from Yage, which is ayahuasca to, um, you know, the coca plant growing in all the different regions and how coca was used throughout the centuries and, and literally tens of thousands of other plants that have become and are still part of, of, of modern culture today in our medicines and our anesthesia. All of this stuff came from the rainforest. And the problem is that, and I was, and the reason I'm saying this is I was able to take a very, very, very short, like three day trip into the Amazon, the Peruvian Amazon out of Puerto Maldonado. Um, and there's a tributary that we weren't, we weren't on the specific Amazon, but we were on the tributaries to it. And it was one of probably the single most unique environment I've ever been in, in my life. And you realize immediately in that environment, after about an hour out of the boat, never get out of the boat unless you're willing to go all the way. Apocalypse now. But anyway, you get it, you, you're like seven hours in this little boat upriver. You stop at a military checkpoint. You get back in the boat. You do another seven hours upriver. You finally get, into, get out of the boat. You get in the jungle. You're in your mosquito netting. You're in a little hut over the over the, it's not even, it's not a swamp really, but you're not on solid ground. So you, there are wooden platforms built out to these little huts with mosquito nets. And that's where you are. There's no windows, no nothing. And you realize in about an hour, the one thing that does not belong in that environment is you, is the human, is the modern out, you know, guy from Orange County in the, in the Amazon. You start, your body starts to decompose because everything is after you. The walls of this room and the mosquito net were covered with bugs that are so far beyond description, it's impossible for me to even begin. They, half of these look like they could take a small child and fly away. And then you're standing in the window of this little hut like, wow, we're, we're in the middle of this. This is an environment that it, it takes your measure. Like you really have to figure, watch what you're doing. And then you hear this ruckus coming in the tree and it's, it's in, through the trees. And it sounds like an elephant is coming at 100 miles an hour. And you're like, all right, we're all dead. But what you realize is these are monkeys, man, and they have smelled you or heard you, and they are coming to check you out. And they come through the trees like a hurricane, and they are not shy. And then they're in that window, and they're looking at you, and you're like, I think I came from you. Like, I think there's a little bit of recognition here, buddy, that, um, you know, I got uh, opposable thumbs, too, and I know what a television is, and you don't. So I'm one step higher. But, you know, there's way too much similarity here. But anyway, the Amazon, if you have not been there, I am not saying to go to the Amazon. That is a fragile ecosystem. I am saying learn about the Amazon because, people, it's going away. The Peruvians have done a very good job of maintaining and saving their part of the of the Amazon. The Brazilians on the other hand, it is not pretty and we are losing it at a rate that is incomprehensible. And when it's gone, it's gone. And when you start when you read a book like Davis's book, you just start, begin to understand that even if you're a fan of the Amazon and you've kind of kept touch with that story over the years, you haven't scratched the surface. You're at 1%. There's a 99% of the iceberg is down below that you haven't seen yet. So get this book and read it. And if you don't know about the Amazon, there are plenty of other books out there. There's some great documentaries out there about it. It's such a fascinating thing. And sadly, it's not going to be around much longer, and we probably won't be either because I don't know where else we would make these discoveries. Okay, point number four, moving on. We are rolling along here just nicely, just nice and fat, like a marbled piece of steak. 
I, I didn't watch the latest round of US, UFC fights, but because uh, I don't have a TV to do that, and, and I'm not paying for it online, and I don't have internet at my house. There's just no way. I mean, I'm a technological backwater here. And uh, but there's a fighter to watch that's very interesting to watch. If you're not, and if you, and if you're one of those people that's like, I don't like cage fighting, I don't like violence, then you probably won't. You can skip this point. Uh, but, uh, most of the people that I know that say that don't know anything about it. And so they just go, oh, it's like boxing or, uh, you know, oh, it's human cockfighting or I don't like this or not. And, you know, some of the UFC fights are terrible. A lot of people don't train and they're fat and they're just like, look, throwing haymakers, trying to knock each other out. And it's boring. It's not really mixed martial arts. It's like big guys, um, hugging and then throwing haymakers. Those are boring. The people that are interesting to watch are the small people who are trained in all the different disciplines, from striking to grappling to wrestling to uh, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, all those different things. They're like Swiss Army knives, and they're, they're basically, you know, they, they interface, and then they're, they're figuring out what styles to attack. And these are not like people who are necessarily talking trash the whole time. They're technicians, and they're like, okay, I'm skilled and trained in this way, and this is a chess match. It just happens to end with a fist into the side of your head or a foot in your neck kind of thing. But there's a guy named Sugar, um, Sugar Sean O'Malley, and he's, I think, taller than I am. I'm like about right about six feet. He's just about my size, but he weighs like 135 pounds or some insane thing. He's just a rail. So he's a little guy. And, um, you know, he's kind of, uh, he's got like dyed hair and stuff. I don't really care about that stuff, but what I'm, what's interesting about him is his style of fighting. And if you are new to the sport, he's somebody to watch because there's not a whole lot of people that are, that operate like him. I don't think he's necessarily the best guy in his division, because he lacks a little bit of the ground game. And I think when people start to wrestle or take him to the canvas, he's going to struggle a little bit. He's a striker. But the way he moves and strikes is different from anybody else in MMA. And if you haven't seen him fight, it's pretty interesting. And uh, I think he's 12-1 and one or 13-1. and one. And uh, definitely worth watching if you haven't seen that. So look him up. Point number five, C19, what have we learned? Mentioned this before, you know, we, we're, we're, we're t- people sort of keep, I keep hearing the phrase, we're coming out of this. And I'm think, I think we're jumping the gun a little bit. I think if you look at what happened in Canada two weeks ago with the Brazilian Covent and the Vancouver Canucks uh, hockey team, I think that's a pretty good little indicator that we're not out of this and we don't have preparations for P1. And I think if you look at what's happening in Michigan, we don't have, pre- we don't, we're not prepared. I think if you look at an 11% increase in cases uh, nationwide, we're not prepared. I think when you look at states like Texas, which with that moron Greg Abbott, and you've got Arkansas and Mississippi and all these hardcore red states that are acting like clowns and just saying we're going to open up regardless, and then trying to do everything in their power to hide the actual number of cases, kind of criminalistic behavior here that we're seeing on a nationwide scale. I think the one good thing of this is that we can stop pretending that we know what we're doing. We can stop as Americans pretending that we're the best. You know, there are certain things, if, if, if competition is your way of life and you're looking at your country and saying, what are we the best at? And maybe that's a natural inclination for anyone. If you're from Denmark or you're from Japan or whatever, maybe you say, look, we're the best at X, Y, and Z. And growing up in America as an American kid, you are told that we are the best at everything all the time, seven days a week, no matter what it is, we are the best, right? And you're taught that we're the good guys and we always do the right thing and we're always saving and helping everybody else. And as you get older, you realize, okay, that's a bit of a stretch. That's not quite, that's just a bit outside, Bob Uecker. And uh, 
I think C19 was pretty a pretty good example that we have a lot of work to do. And I, th- I look at this as a positive. You know, there is no possible way for us to say we have the best education system. The numbers are not there. We don't have the best healthcare. We don't have the really the best, you know, China now has the number one modern military fleet, not us. Now, not to say that we don't have the best military, you know, I think p- potentially we still do. But we're kind of getting, and we're, we're dependent on a lot of overseas manufacturing and technology that if it went away, now we're really in trouble. So I think the good news is that we can stop pretending that we are the best, that we have this figured out. You know, we're still having problems with the vaccine rollout. We had a president and an entire administration and now the entire Republican Party that denies everything. They just think the whole thing was a hoax and it's all become politicized. So again, we don't have the best political system. We don't have the best leadership. We don't have the best health care. We don't have the best education. We don't have the best financial situation because it's a, that's a house of cards as well. And we know the kind of fraudulent stuff that's been going on and, and long before 08. 08 was just blatant. 08 was the tipping point of financial people saying, we can do this and get away with it with no repercussions. That was what 08 was in my mind. 08 could you could see 08 coming from outer space. And if you read about what was happening behind the scenes prior to the collapse, there were a lot of people who knew it was coming. The people who didn't know or didn't want to know were the heads of the big financial houses like Lehman and stuff. They just didn't want to know because they were making so much money. They just didn't care. And so all of a sudden, 08 was like, oh, we can do this and not go to jail. That's now we can do it again. We can make it worse. And they did. It started almost immediately in. So again, I, some people call me a pessimist and some people, no one calls me an optimist, but I don't think I am a pessimist. I think I'm a realist. I just look at what's in front of me and I can't look at rose colored glasses and say, oh, well, yeah, we don't need the polar caps. Yeah, they're melting. Yeah, whatever. Or I can't look and say, well, they're not melting. No, 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 no. Nope, nope. It's a hoax. Not happening. I just kind of go, what's actually happening? And uh, what does that mean? And what's the math? What's the science? What's the truth? And if, and if the truth is beautiful, then you celebrate it. And if the truth is not beautiful, then you try to make it right. And what I see now is we're not trying to make it right. We're trying to make us right. We want our opinion to be right more so than anything else. And it's not working. But that's what I think. That's the big takeaway for me from C19 is an opportunity to understand how much work we have to do. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because when you start putting the pieces together and solving things and making things better, it's all fantastic. That's where we are. Point number six, I can't even understand my my writing here. And this was also covered in a film, which was bike tires. And I don't know, man. I, the older I get, the more I fall in love with cycling. And I, not a day goes by that I do not dream of taking a long-distance bicycle tour. And you would think, hey, loser, get off your ass and go do it. The problem is I have a job. I have a full-time job, and then I have AG23. That's the ranking, right? Blurb is the, is the bulk of my energy. AG23 takes almost the rest of my energy, and then everything else is just a shotgun pattern of random stuff. Some fun, some not life responsibility, had a call with our financial planner the other day for two hours going through, you guys are screwed, or hey, you're going to survive for the next eight weeks, that kind of thing. And then my mom is losing her short-term memory. It's very ugly. I feel terrible. I call her, and she is not happy and not doing well, and it just sucks. 
So I have all that stuff. And then occasionally I get to ride my bike. I get to go fishing. I get to hike. I get to do that kind of stuff. But the tour is a, is a distant dream right now because I just would not, unless I got fired, I would not have time to do that. And so that's a good problem to have that you're like, okay, it's not in the grand scheme of things. Me on a bicycle tour is not that important. Could I spin it into a lesson for people? Yeah, I think I could. I think there's a million ways of saying, look, this is an approachable thing for a lot of people who don't think it is. And also, I don't need to necessarily get on a plane all the time to have an adventure. I can do it right here. And so um, I did find a tire I love. And I know everyone out there is wondering, God, I hope Dan has found a tire that he's happy with. Because, you know, I can't, I just, the, the thought of him not being happy is unbearable. Schwalbe Marathon Plus Tour. 700 by 45. And Schwalbe, if you're listening, and I know you're not, but if you were, hypothetically, uh, make it in a 700 by 50. That would make me very happy. And oh, by the way, speaking of shameless pandering for brand help, uh, and Schwalbe, I have no affiliation with them at all. I did have a tire brand reach out and offer to send me whatever I wanted after seeing a film I did on YouTube. And I said I was good for now, but if at some point in down the future, if something made sense, I would reach out. But I don't necessarily need, because again, I have a pair of tires now that'll last for 10,000 miles. I don't really need anything else. And there's a lot of other people that probably do, and they're doing way more interesting things on their bike than I am. So I look at that kind of sponsorship and say, I don't really need that. That's I'm flattered, and that's great, and I do like your product. It's just that someone else probably needs it more than me. But this is... Uh, it's fun. Cycling to me is like such a wonderful thing. Shameless pandering. There's another company I found out about, which of course, everyone in the cycling world, I'm sure know, has known about this company for years, but I don't really pay attention to much of what's happening in the cycling world. Redshift, they make a suspension stem for the bike. So I can remove my current stem and I can put a suspension stem on and I can get a little bit of play in the front end because right now I'm rigid on the front end. I've got a carbon fork with no suspension on a titanium frame. And that combination is pretty forgiving. However, it's not like having suspension. And when you have a couple of inches of travel on the front end, especially on corrugated roads, it can be all the difference in the world. And if you have not ridden a really corrugated road on a rigid bike, you do not know how painful that is. You know, your hands and shoulders just take an absolute beating on that. And the bike does too. The bike sounds like it's literally going to blow apart. And the roads out here, New Mexico, is filled with corrugated roads. My van, I have beat the living crap out of the van in the last year. In fact, I was driving home a week ago, and I heard this rattle in the back, and I turned, turned around, and the ceiling fan, the vent in the back, had three of the four screws had fallen out and come down because I had just come off of this road that was just absolutely horrible. And the whole car, and it doesn't matter what kind of car you're in, or how fast you go. It just absolutely destroys whatever vehicle. And so I got in and I put the screws back in. And now I just basically taped the entire vent fan in because I'm tomorrow I'm going to go right back out and be on a road that's even worse trying to get to a, a hiking place here. And so a little suspension is a good thing. And this redshift stem looks pretty fantastic. So that's one little upgrade I may do um, to my bike at some point. All right, let's move on. Did I tell you about Albania? Yeah, okay, we can skip that point. Point number eight, which is probably seven, is um, a van trip. So the one trip that would not be New Mexico over the next few months that I'm looking at is to go uh, on a pretty extensive van trip in America. I don't know, and I have specific reasons for where I'm going, and it's not like I'm driving to all 50 states or anything. It would be from here to the East Coast, basically, um, 
for a family thing. And then, uh, that's, that's kind of it. I wanted to hit the great lakes on the way back. One very specific spot, actually two spots on the great lakes. And then I have reason work reasons to go to Seattle. Uh, but I think that's a bit far on that trip. I don't think I'd be able to, to all the, to, to go all the way back across the country, but the van has been absolutely life-changing in terms of what it's allowing us to do. And I should have bought a van 30 years ago. I have no idea why I didn't do that. You don't need anything fancy. We have a 1500 ProMaster with a Wayfair kit on the inside. And it's com- compared to what's out there, it's a very, very basic combination. And it's perfect. I look at some of the $150,000, dollars 4x4 Sprinter Revels and, and uh, those things, and they're beautiful. But holy cow, that's a lot of money for a van. You don't really need that. You can go simple and get out there. But it's pretty fun. Um, van lifers have taken over the country. Trailheads are jammed. Parking areas are jammed. A friend just came from Big Bend and Guadalupe Mountain State Park and White Sands, and he said it was an absolute shit show. He just said it was so packed. Every campsite full, um, lines of traffic. Uh, my wife had said, oh, I really want to go to White Sands. He was like, don't bother until you know COVID has worked itself out and there are less people on the road because it's just jammed. One thing you, you are seeing is a lot of these people new to van life and new to being in the outdoor world don't know how to behave, and they're leaving garbage and waste and trash all over the place. I'm working on a van life film right now, and um, van life episode five, and there was I went uh, fishing last week, and there was just the amount of debris, um, liquor bottles, human waste, uh, leftover Easter celebration stuff, powerbait wrappers. Um, garbage, beer cans in the river, beer cans on the shore. You know, people are just dumb. We, we live in an undereducated country where there is an ignorance level that is just, you know, ignorance is a birthright here. And we are not shy about displaying that. And when you just go to a pristine place like a mountain river and you see the amount of garbage, that comes from people who are uneducated, that just do not get it. They, they do not put two and two together. They can't. They can't see past their own nose. They've had a day on the river. They might never come back, and they just don't care. And you also have van lifers, and you have van lifers who are in it because they're in it to gain something from the public. And once they're once they've been to a place and they've gained it, they don't care. And there's a there's a couple of really great interviews online with Instagrammers at um, a couple of famous landmarks up in Utah, and they're like, look, I don't give a shit. I've been here. I got my picture. I'm never coming back. I don't care about this place. This was about likes. And so if you get a van and you go out, just realize you're going to have to go earlier or later. You're going to have to go into the cold seasons or the very, very hot seasons. And you're going to have to go either further than you thought you had to go to find solitude, or you're just going to have to put up with a ton of people that you probably don't want to put up with. And so that's the downside of van life right now. And that's the downside of everything. I mean, the other day, I, I, I left a parking lot after a caravan of overlanders, which are the really rapidly becoming some of my least favorite people. There was a caravan of probably 25 completely kitted out overlanding vehicles. And when they left their parking lot, it looked like a, it looked like a dump. Trash everywhere that these idiots had just left, and they don't care. You know, they're all YouTubing as they go along, and they're you know like, hey, I've been there, did that trail, I can add it and talk about it. And, and I may or may not go back. And so it's a weird thing, man. You really have to go further. My, my sights are on Alaska, which I know Alaskans will hate me saying that and will probably say, stay the hell out. I would too if I lived up there. Canada, you're, you're in my crosshairs too, baby. 
As soon as you open that border up coming in, the ugly American man, I'm getting a 30-pack of bush light, and I'm coming in in my jean shorts and my koozie hat, and I am going to lay waste to whatever wild land you have left. Get ready, my friends. It's coming. Anyway, overall, van, thumbs up, positive. But there is a dark side of that van life, people. There's a dark side when you put humans in nature. Okay. What do we got here? Oh, just a quick point here. Uh, New Mexico is, is the latest state to legalize marijuana. Mary Jane, Granny Ganja, Purple Hazel. Um, yeah, uh, if you don't know the strain names of weed, you're missing out. You know, uh, Gorilla Panic, they're coming, they're coming. The strain names alone are worth smoking weed. Because when you go in and you see that row of glass jars and the names on the jars are so unbelievably good you know, brain fog, mental collapse. It is awesome. But New Mexico, uh, to, in, my my, in my opinion, one of the things I like about New Mexico is there tends to be common sense coming from the state leadership. Not always, not perfect, not even close, not looking for perfect, but like a governor, let's say, Michelle Lujan Grisham, who was like, oh, COVID, bad, bad, COVID, bad, COVID, bad. Let's prepare, right? That's kind of the kind of common sense I like. Uh, what else? Trump says put troops on the border. Michelle Lujan Grisham, no, bad troops, bad, not going to do that. Oh, common sense, great. That's the kind of thing I like about out here. So it passed. You know, the state looked around and said, you can go to Colorado and buy weed. You can go to Oregon, California, wherever. There's 20 other states, whatever, that legalized weed. We've, the war on drugs is a joke. We've never been able to come remotely close to stopping this. The revenues we're missing are, are enormous. What can we do with that money to make things better here? And so they've legalized it. It won't be, the stores won't be able to open, I think, until early 2022. You'll be able to also grow marijuana, which actually I would like to do because if you've never seen a marijuana plant up close, it is one of the coolest plants I have ever seen in my life. It is a, pl I'm not joking, whether it's indica or sativa, the difference between those two plants in terms of their physicality are night and day, okay? And when you when you start learning about marijuana, it is one of the most incredible plants we have ever discovered. And they have only scratched the surface of what the plant is capable of. And to look at a super low, dense, thick indica plant, like an Afghani bull rider plant, that's my favorite strain, by the way, 95% THC, just kidding. But that is a name I saw at a, at a, uh, a dispensary, Afghani bull rider. And I was like, that's not gonna end well. I uh, no, not gonna. I don't want that. That's not good. But then you, you look at a sativa plant that's 30 feet high. And by the way, I was doing a project a couple of years ago in Kansas in the middle of nowhere in farmland. And a guy in a quad, quad runner rolls up and goes, Hey, jump on the back. I jump on the back. He drives me down to this river and there's a kind of a river. It's not a big river by any stretch. It's probably 30 feet across and a couple feet deep. And it's just, you know, running across to the horizon through farmland and on both sides as far as you could see to the horizon were 30 foot sativa plants somebody had thrown seeds in year before years before and these had spread in like an invasive weed and there was 30 foot weed plants as far as you could see and they're like nah we don't we don't smoke no weed here and so they were they were hilarious by the way and awesome and that was it really changed my and i i, I shouldn't even say that Kansas to me was a state I had not spent a lot of time, but I loved Kansas and I came out of it, especially this region that I was in. And I was like, I could live here easily. And of course, all my snobby coastal friends are like, Kansas, 
my God, what would you do in Kansas? And I'm like, same shit I'd do here, just at, at 5% of the price with a bunch of people who are a lot nicer. That's what I would do in Kansas. But it was fantastic. And the 30, looking at 30-foot sativa plants to the horizon made me laugh. I was like, this is great. And nobody, none of those people had anything to do with it. And he told me that, like the DEA had come. And the guy just like drives up, takes a look, and he's like, whatever, drives away. Like no one's, no one's messing with it and bothering with it. And I think that to me was the, was the ultimate of why, why, why did we not legalize this a long time ago? Let's just quit the charade. And so I'm excited that we did that. I don't know what it means for overall, for revenues, and you know, what are they going to do with that? Will it help the education system? I have no idea. No idea. Uh, okay, last Last point, and we're going to move on because I have got to get in the car and get out of here. Oh, yeah, I'm running out of time. Uh, the last point is I'm, I'm glad the hipsters have kept film alive. I really am. It's a commendable thing. Having film around is better than not having film. More options to make pictures, make art is good as opposed to less options. But I saw Velvia for, for sale for $22 a roll. That is insane. That is price gouging. That is a manufacturer just saying, we can do whatever we want because hipsters have money and they can do this. That is insane. I mean, when you think about what these costs were for a roll of Triax used to be $1.25, and now it's like $11 for a roll of 36 Triax. That is insane. I don't know how anybody pays for that. If you break that into, you know, if your selects per roll dollar, I mean, that's probably five, six bucks a frame to get a decent frame, that that's just not good. I mean, I hope people are making 100-foot rolls and bulk rolling because I don't know how else you would be able to afford to shoot film anymore. That's crazy. But um, And I had not paid attention because I haven't bought film in years. I've got a giant box of probably 300 rolls or 400 rolls of film still, and I hardly ever shoot it anymore because logistically it doesn't work for me. But I was kind of sad because I thought, man, there'd probably be a hell of a lot more great work being done if this was relatively affordable. Because that, when you throw processing and scanning on top of it, if you're paying 22 bucks a roll for purchase and 22, let's say you're paying 27 a roll for high-res scans and process, who the hell can afford that? That's only going to get worse. If, if they don't do something about that, the, the stocks are going to drop, the prices are going to continue, and then at some point it's going to hit the tipping point and people are just going to say, I can't do it anymore, which sucks because film in many ways is just so much better and so much more fun than digital. And so I just hope that someone can, can remedy that because that's kind of a ripoff in my mind. Okay, that's it for this week. I'm back. I don't know when I'm going to post this. I have got to fly. I got to get in the van and get out of here. And... Um, Anyway, thanks for tuning in, and uh, I am, looks like I'm back with uh, for what it's worth podcast. Adios.